This episode is sponsored by me, Carolyn Choate. Schedule a funnel mapping strategy session so we can go through your business, your goals, and your plans together, and you'll get a custom diagram of your perfect ideal funnel. And you'll have the option to have me build it all for you in just one week with a funnel by Friday. So click the link in the description to schedule your session. Hello everyone, I am so sorry there's an echo, I don't know why that's happening, but the show must go on. So we are here with David Crum to talk about hybrid publishing, which is such an exciting, kind of new way of publishing. So I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, thank you for having me on. I'm David Crum. Um, I'm a... Uh, lifelong journalist. That's my profession, mainly. Um, some folks nationally know me as a uh, uh, writer for national newspapers and magazines, which I did for 35 years. Um, and then 15 years ago, I co-founded a publishing house, Front Edge Publishing, which uh, is a hybrid publisher, as well as an associated online magazine called readthespirit.com. That's the online magazine of our publishing house. And so I run that uh, publishing house and magazine today. I uh, am still a journalist primarily. Most of what we publish is nonfiction, although uh, soon this year we will be publishing our first cozy mystery. So we're getting into the cozy mystery genre as well. Ooh, fun. I love those. Why don't you go ahead and tell everyone what hybrid publishing is and how is it different from traditional publishing? So um, one way to describe what hybrid publishing is, is to say that uh, it is a method of publishing that has been around as long as movable type. Um, hy the hybrid publishing model simply refers to the business model involved in producing books. And uh, hybrid publishers, ourselves included, um, are part of a national network of publishers that uh, strongly believe that we follow should follow the best practices of traditional publishing and that means in terms of um, how we select the books we'll publish, how we edit the books, how we design them and produce them. So that is all following traditional principles but uh, the business model is a little different in that the author invests in some of the startup costs of producing a new book and if you think about it um, uh, when we founded this uh, publishing house in 2007, we were thinking of medieval guilds, for example, uh, as, as book publishing and pamphleteering was first sweeping across Europe in the 16 and 1700s. Uh, everybody owned a printing press and um, everybody was involved in the communal distribution of publications and uh, coming out of journalism in newspapers and magazines, it seemed to the co-founders of our publishing house that that was a great model for establishing a publishing house. In 2007, when we started, the uh, current uh, phrase uh, for this genre or this, uh, this model in the industry, hybrid publishing, uh, did not exist. There wasn't a name for it yet. Um, at our, uh, we had a conference the first day that we opened in 2007 and had about 70 people come from all across the country and we described it as guild-like publishing, like um, 
the uh, guilds of many centuries ago. Um, now there's a name for it, it's hybrid publishing, and we are among the co-signers of the National Best Practices Pledge for Hybrid Publishers. That's so cool. I did not realize that you were one of the first, if not the first, hybrid publisher. Well, we wouldn't. Uh, the claims of who did it first are um, not an argument we would want to have with anybody. Uh, you know, you could say that uh, the first 200 years of publishing were often on a, a hybrid model. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, so some people know that the founder of the Methodist movement around the world was a guy named John Wesley. Uh, when John Wesley established his uh, major uh, congregation in London uh, called the Foundry, uh, the first piece of equipment he bought was a printing press. And uh, he encouraged uh, his whole set of followers to help out with um, publishing pamphlets and books and among other things he would publish copies of sample sermons to distribute around. So the, this model, there's nothing new really fundamentally in this model. Um, in terms of who is was the first to be declared a hybrid publisher, uh, we definitely salute She Writes Press. Um, that was a, a group of uh, pioneering uh, women who felt that women were not um, getting the kind of access they needed to uh, traditional publishing, and they set up a um, their own um, cooperative uh, publishing uh, company. And they, uh, around 2012, this was five years after we started, uh, they began using the phrase hybrid publishing, and uh, that stuck. Um, and they like to call themselves the first quote unquote hybrid publisher, and we're happy to let them have that title. Um, and uh, uh, now, uh, for the interest of your readers, um, there's, a, there's a real distinction between hybrid publishing and self-publishing. And there are a lot of uh, kind of predatory self-publishers out there who want to call themselves hybrids now because it's kind of trendy. Um, the national repository, the National Center for Hybrid Best Practices is a group called the Independent Book Publishers Association, the IBPA. And uh, she writes, participates with IBPA, we do too. Um, they established a best practices pledge that legitimate hybrid publishing houses have signed. They just updated it and strengthened the best practices pledge a year ago, we signed again. Um, and uh, so it's a, it's a real deal thing with a national publishers association attached to it. Uh, there are best practices out there. Uh, you can go read about them at IBPA, that's the initials of that organization, IBPA at their uh, organization. Or if you visit our publishing house site, Front Edge Publishing, um, and you just search for hybrid publishing, we've got a half a dozen columns there that link to the best practices and, and so on. So it's um, it, I, I think it's a very important innovation. We're very proud to be part of it. That is excellent. Yeah, that's such a good point that you make because there are predatory self-publishers. I mean, there's a lot of access now for people to be able to publish themselves. But I remember in the 90s, we used to tell people, if somebody asks you to pay money to get published, and it's a scam, don't do it. 
and it's really not that clear cut anymore. So are there some other ways that people can tell if they're working with a legitimate hyphen publisher? Um, yeah, so there was a time when self-publishing was something that was, was also referred to as vanity press. Uh, this goes all the way back to the 60s and 70s. Uh, there were a couple dozen major self-publishing companies that often were also called vanity presses. And uh, there's a lot of reasons that somebody might want to self-publish that, that are entirely legitimate. Um, they've written a history about an area of the country that's really important to a few thousand people, but it's never going to attract the interest of a, of a national audience. Or they've written... Uh, a cozy mystery that they think a bunch of their friends will enjoy, but isn't going to attract, you know, a random house. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to self-publish. You, you want to do your, maybe your uh, family history. You've got an interesting family. Or um, Back in the day, in the 60s and 70s and so on, there were some, there were some self-publishers that it turned out later were making promises that they couldn't possibly keep. And there was a period of time, and this is easy to look up. Uh, if you go to Wikipedia, you can find the whole history with lots of links, and you can read about it in other newspapers and stuff. Um, there were a bunch of class action lawsuits that went after some of these early self-publishers and, and pointed out that uh, they took the money, uh, they put out a book, they didn't really promote it, and these authors who had dreams of becoming best-selling authors just, you know, um, they got their book out there, but it was a financial loss for them, and so there were all these class action lawsuits. A lot of that resolved itself, and the simple version is to say there were a couple of big five publishing companies that bought up a bunch of the self-publishers and kind of reformed them a bit and remodeled them. Today, um, there are many legitimate reasons to self-publish, and there are um, serious uh, options for self-publishers. Probably the single um, most popular option for self-published uh, authors is called KDP Direct, which is owned by Amazon. The K stands for Kindle, and it's a system through Amazon where you can load up your book and it can be available uh, for Kindle. Um, it also allows you in that self-publishing option to uh, tell Amazon, uh, produce a paperback version of my book, and, and the software kind of sort of figures it out. Um, uh, I am not against self-publishing, and there are many, many uh, great reasons that people self-publish, um, and happy to see them do it. Um, also, in the industry, there now is room uh, made. Um, uh, Publishers Weekly Magazine makes room for self-published authors in various issues. Um, uh, room is made for self-published authors that, that uh, was not there before in a legitimate way. Now, the problem is um, people try to self-publish. Uh, they might go to this KDP Direct at Amazon and try to upload their book, and they don't like what they see. Um, they, they don't quite know what they're doing. They it looks messy, it looks amateurish. So they look around and they Google it and there are all these companies that offer you, um, you know, some, some of them say they're self-publishing, some of them say become a, become a published author, uh, become a best-selling author, some of them will promise you that you'll, you'll become a best-selling author. Um, 
in that ocean of offers you can Google, there are some real predators. And now when I say predator, what I'm describing is um, it is not clear how much you're going to have to pay. Like you may say, I want to sign up for your publishing package that costs X number of dollars. And then you discover, oh, but that didn't include this service or that service. And before you know it, um, it's a little bit like uh, flying to New York for the first time, getting in a taxi cab, uh, the meter starts. And before you know it, you've got this incredible amount you owe um, because you don't know where you're going in New York City. Um, uh, hybrid publishers, um, the best hybrid publishers, um, uh, are associated with industry organizations like the Independent Book Publishers Association. We are a dues-paying member of that organization. We are signers of the Best Practices Pledge. If you're out there and you encounter a publisher and you say, uh, and they say, well, we are a hybrid publisher. Um, uh, you could ask, well, are you a signer of the Best Practices Pledge at the IBPA? And you can go over and look at that website and see who has signed it or not. Um, you also can ask the question, um, am I going to get a contract that specifies uh, capped expenses that I am paying? And a, many of the self-publishing companies um, are very hesitant to do that because um, uh, they, they want to upsell. They want to, you know, even if you've paid for the basic package, they want to sell you um, marketing. They want to sell you there's a whole host of other things that they want to sell you on the other end. So I hope that answers your question. It's a, it's a, um, it's a challenging world out there. I definitely I want to be on record as saying that there are really legitimate reasons to self-publish, and um, uh, that can be a successful avenue for a lot of people. Um, uh, hybrid publishing is a different model than self-publishing, and it is much more akin to traditional publishing uh, with just a different uh, business model attached for the authors involved. Um, can you still hear me? Uh, I can, yes. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I published with KDP in 2009, and I've always been sort of more of the, on the indie side of things. Um, but a lot of those people, those predatory ones you're talking about, they offer marketing packages that are nothing. It's like pay $5,000 and what they're going to do for you is useless. So that's one that really gets me worked up as somebody who loves marketing books. But anyway, um, so if somebody does decide that they don't want to try to figure out self-publishing uh, or wade through that, what are some of the ways that hybrid publishing does open new doors for people? So we, we hear from authors every week who are interested in publishing their book and they either have tried the big five publishers and gotten rejection notices or they just kind of know that they're not going to make it in that market and they're looking around. When we meet with authors, we always, the first question I ask them is, um, what other authors, uh, what other publishing houses have you considered? And if they have not looked beyond us, if we're the first stop, 
um, I always encourage them to look further. Um, and I will even describe to them how to get to KDP and how to consider self-publishing. Um, many Americans, are, readers and writers are unaware that there are, uh, I don't know the exact number, but there are thousands of small to mid-sized publishing houses out there across America. Um, it depends upon what the subject of your book is, uh, which publishing, you know, there are publishing houses that specialize in books about nature, books about opera, books about movies, uh, cozy mysteries, romance novels, young adult novels. Um, one way that you can kind of reverse research is look around on Amazon at books that are like the one you're writing or you've finished. So look around Amazon for other similar books that you're going to be out there in the market um, uh, competing with. I, we, we really don't use the word compete because uh, people who love to read keep reading. And so if we find that there are books out there on Amazon that are very much like the subject matter that we're, you know, if we're, if we're publishing a book about uh, dealing with stress or uh, we're publishing a book about, we publish a book called Died for Caregivers, which is about how to um, uh, avoid burnout as a caregiver. There are 50 million American caregivers today who are unpaid caregivers in homes today. So we publish actually several books about caregiving. We welcome all the other authors and publishers in this area because there's a need. And if people have read those books, they're more likely to buy our book. So we don't see them as competitors. If you see another mystery writer out there, if, you, if you're dreaming of becoming a mystery writer and you see other mystery writers out there, um, and uh, you know one of the big areas of fiction sales these days are mysteries, of course. There's young adult, there's romance, there's mysteries. Um, it's other kind of straight up fiction, but let's just talk about mysteries. Um, you want to be a cozy mystery writer and you discover that uh, one of the distinctive hooks that you want to put in your um, cozy mystery is uh, knitting. There, there's, there's actually a genre within cozy mysteries about people who love to knit. There's a, a genre within romance that are Amish romances that are super popular. So if you go on to Amazon and you find books similar to the one that you either want to write or have written, and you look at who publishes those books. Now you may find that some of them are self-published. You may find um, a half a dozen book imprints uh, listed in the books that you really like that are like what you want to do. Well, contact those publishers. That's a great way to start. You know, go to their publishing webpage. Uh, every publishing house has an area on the webpage that says submissions and it describes how you can submit. Um, uh, a well-informed author who has looked around is a, a much better partner for us to work with in hybrid publishing than an author who simply comes to us first and hasn't looked at any other options. Um, they may find that self-publishing is the way to go. They may find that a particular other publisher is a better way for them to go. Um, we want folks who work with us to fully understand what we're doing and to be um, eager um, to be working with us. And that's why typically if we're talking to a new author, um, uh, you know, we, we may meet with that author five or six times over a period of two months before we even talk about whether or not there would be a contractual agreement to do the book. Uh, you know, we want people to be fully informed, to know what they're doing, make sure they're making the right choices. So, you know, you asked, uh, 
what can you tell people about uh, finding their way in this field of self-publishing or hybrid publishing? Um, if the person you're talking to is too eager to sell you on a deal and to have you pay the first check, uh, you've got, you need to question why they're so eager to get that first check from you. Um, every author we have worked with from 2007 to today, we are still working with. So we're forming a relationship that's going to go on for years. So for us to meet with you four or five or six times before we even talk about a contractual arrangement, um, and, and we're not charging you for those meetings, um, that makes perfect sense because we're forming a relationship that's going to last for years. It's like making a friendship, you know, professional friendship. Um, so it's, it, it's, I, I think it's a very important opportunity for authors who have something important to say in the world, who are not likely to break into the big five, uh, or may even have a hard time finding a way to be published in among these thousands of mid-size independents um, to get their book in print. That is a really interesting perspective, and it's so rare, especially in the digital online marketing world, to to hear that idea of like take it slow, it's okay, it doesn't have to be a boom 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 boom. We need you, we purchase something, and um, I love that building a relationship and really making sure that it's the right fit before you move forward because that just keeps everybody happier. <laughs> Well, you, you really are forming a long-term relationship. This is a serious uh, business agreement as well on that side. Um, uh, you know, one of the hallmarks, one of the distinctive hallmarks that separates self-publishing from hybrid publishing is that self-publishing um, typically is charging the author the complete cost of producing a book. And after a self-publishing house is done producing your book, if you have not also paid that organization for marketing costs, in addition, that, that organization has done its work and they're gone and your book is out there. Um, uh, hybrid publishing, uh, the amount that the author is investing uh, represents only a portion of the cost of producing that book. So we did a cost analysis uh, last year, we do one every year, but last year we did a cost analysis and, and we estimate that for whatever amount an author is putting into the investment of a book, we are probably, as a publishing house, investing three to four times that amount on our side. So it isn't, it isn't simply that I'm here as a salesman and you call me and you say you've got a book and my default position is I want to get that check from you. Um, in fact, I want to see if your book is likely to sell to people. I care about that. I want to choose books that are actually going to sell. And, and typically, we're looking for books that we think have a shot at selling approximately 2,000 copies in the first two years. A lot of self-published books are produced uh, with the realization from the get-go that, that they may only sell a few hundred books, right? Um, if you've got, let's say you, you love history in your part of the country, maybe you're a Civil War buff and you just really want to do this book about how the Civil War uh, affected your part of the country, 
um, you may be very happy to produce a book that sells 600 copies and it's out there in the market and it's done its job. That's not a sustainable model for the kind of publishing that we do where we want ongoing sales of books. We want to continue to represent authors. And if you're making that kind of investment, um, it's just not a business in which, um, uh, you know, quick sales benefits anybody. You know, uh, you know, you get the author and within two meetings, you've suddenly got a contractual agreement. You may have made a big mistake for everybody involved. Now, I, I will say uh, we're getting inquiries every week from authors. I don't spend that much time with all of those authors who inquire. Um, I always reply to every inquiry on behalf of the publishing house. If, if you inquire, I will always, we will always reply in a, you know, in a polite and concise way. Um, we want to know more. Very quickly, we may discover that, um, you know, what you've, we got an inquiry the other day from an author in Turkey um, who wanted to do a book about uh, recipes from her re region of Turkey. And uh, very quickly, we discovered, we could tell that while this might be a great book in her region of Turkey, um, you know, this is just is not going to work for an American market. And so uh, we did um, help to give her the links into KDP Direct from the Turkish version of Amazon. Um, and uh, I don't know if she's got her book up there. This is just a recent contact. But I, you know, I don't, I cannot spend endless time with every inquiry. And very quickly, we discover that a majority of the inquiries are books that are not going to work out um, with us, and then we try to be helpful, uh, but we discontinue the you know conversation fairly concisely. But for those that we think there is some promise to, um, we want to build that solid relationship. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's a business, and so it makes sense to have some standards there. So that seems like another clue. If the, the business is too eager, that might be an indication. And maybe it's not, but maybe it's an indication that they aren't prioritizing quality and knowing that they can sell the product. And that's uh, an important part of a book as a product. It's got to be marketable. In some yeah, way, I, you know, it may be it, it may be helpful for your listeners to know that um, I, it often surprises people, but uh, more nonfiction books are sold every day than fiction in America. Um, you know, if there are ten books sold, about six of them are going to be nonfiction, and about four of them are going to be fiction every day. Um, if you look at bestseller lists, which often are fiction bestseller lists, or you look at the uh, blockbusters that are turned into Netflix series or blockbuster movies, you know, John Grisham and, and um, uh, Hunger Games and um, uh, Harry Potter and Game of, you know, um, uh, you can get the impression that far and away more fiction sells than nonfiction, but that's not the case. Um, within the fiction uh, market, um, we've already listed some of the, the big sellers. Uh, Mysteries are very popular. Uh, YA, which is young adult, is very popular. Uh, romance, very popular. And uh, within each of these categories, there are all these very well-defined subgenres. Um, um, I have a mother-in-law, for example, who is an avid fan of Amish romance. 
and uh, it is surprising. There are dozens and, you know, 20 years ago, there were two or three Amish romance writers. Uh, today, there are dozens of Amish romance writers. Um, within the cozy mystery field, uh, my wife is a huge fan of historical cozy mysteries. And uh, there are now subgenres of historical cozy mysteries. There are some that are sort of the gaslight uh, cozies and those, uh, you know, kind of feel like the Sherlock Holmes era. Um, uh, There's a very popular one that's uh, airing on uh, PBS Masterpiece Theater these days called Miss Scarlet and the Duke, which is uh, one of those gaslight mysteries. We're big fans of that. Um, but there also are World War II era. Uh, mysteries that are very popular. Uh, my wife reads a half a dozen authors, different authors, who write about that period. Um, there are cozy mysteries that specialize in being set in Ireland, in Scotland, in you know particular areas. Um, there are certain cozy mystery writers that are known for providing recipes along with the cozy mysteries. Um, so if you switch over to the nonfiction field, which is primarily what we've been working in, although we are starting to get into fiction here, um, personal memoirs, of course, uh, biographies and autobiographies, very popular, particularly among celebrities. Um, I think anybody who's got a social media account is aware that uh, um, the uh, royal family uh, just hit a record with this uh, um, new um, autobiography that I think sold uh, millions on day one, something like, I forget the exact sales figures. Um, so celebrity biographies, um, Cookbooks are popular, uh, self-help books are very popular. Um, we used to call them how-to books, but books that explain um, how, to, how to do certain things, uh, how to cope with certain things. Um, books about resiliency, very popular. Um, so it's, it's a huge, huge field. And the good news about all of that is um, when COVID hit three years ago, um, the, the book industry crashed for about two months. Uh, nobody bought anything for about two months. Um, then suddenly uh, the gates opened and people began buying and reading more than ever. And so today um, the gains are not as huge as they've been in the past two years. And that's partly because the gains were so huge in the past two years. Uh, more books are being sold today than ever before. And in fact, um, most Americans prefer to read their books on paper. Um, digital books are very popular, but digital books account for maybe uh, two out of every 10 books sold are digital books. Uh, now I'm, I'm a Kindle reader, uh, but I also like reading ink on paper books and ink on paper books are not going away. They're very, very popular. And one of the demographics that particularly likes ink on paper books are 20 to 40 year olds, which may be surprising, but they see so many screens that when they really want to dive into a book and enjoy, enjoy that book, uh, a surprising portion of those folks like ink on paper. Um, so uh, it, it's a great field to get into. Um, these genres that I were, was just mentioning, if, if any of your readers out there have books that they're considering, um, you know, think, think about contacting us at Front Edge Publishing. Um, uh, this is a time when uh, more people than ever 
are uh, getting hold of books as a part of their uh, personal lives. Cover of reading and writing myself. I'm delighted that books are still as popular as they are. They're not going anywhere. Books, both Kindle and print, are just wonderful things to have. And everybody, everybody loves them. So that is fantastic. And I am so happy to have made your acquaintance and to have you here to tell everyone about what you do. It's really interesting, and especially that you know the numbers so well, that you really look at the trends and statistics and things like that. Very powerful. So if you have any final advice you'd like to leave us with, now is the time. Um, if you are an aspiring author, uh, you can do yourself um, uh, a, a great deal of good by researching in advance um, how likely your book is to find a way in the world. Um, look around Amazon and find other books that are similar to your book. If you do find books that are similar to your book, um, don't regard it as uh, a negative. It means that somebody out there wants these books um, and you know you can look at their sales figures on Amazon they don't really nobody gives out their sales figures publishers are very carefully guard sales figures but on Amazon you can see rankings and you can see how many readers have reviewed a book um, if you find folks out there writing books similar to what you want to write uh, that's a sign that there's a market out there that's a sign that there's a community out there one way that we talk about books is we, we, we say that a book is a community between two covers. And what we're trying to do as publishers is manifest that community in the world. We're trying to connect the community that you create as an author between these two covers with a real tangible waiting community out there in the world of readers who want to interact with you and your book, and maybe a second book and a third book. Um, we love authors who have a plan to do more than one book. In fact, this cozy mystery writer, um, whose name is Laura Elizabeth, who will be publishing this year, um, on the front cover, we're calling this book one, because we know next year she's going to have a second book. Um, uh, rather than thinking of this publishing world as a harsh, you know, for, there's real reason to think of the world of publishing as a harsh and dangerous world of shark infested waters because there are people out there who if you google around are eager to take thousands and thousands of dollars of your money uh, because you are um, aspiring to be an author and you want to pay for help and before you know it you've you've experienced publishing as a dangerous and costly place i really work hard to refocus um, authors' mindsets and readers' mindsets to say publishing is a way of sharing uh, the best that we can offer to build healthier communities. And the, the book that you bring into the world should make the world a little better place. We, we've never published a book in 16 years that we, we can't argue made the world a little better place, right? And if we're engaged in that, then this is, yes, it's like any business, it's like any entrepreneurial uh, effort that you want to put out there in the world. 
um, there are risks and there you, you can fail at it you can make mistakes we've made mistakes we've failed with certain books but this really is an exciting way um, to be engaged in making the world a better place right because your book is contributing to a healthier community out there and this is true whether you've written a cozy mystery you've written a, a book about how to be a better caregiver um, we publish a book um, called American History Made Easy that is about uh, it's for all those folks out there who need to know American history for various reasons or want to know it but they never uh, quite understood it and so we had these educators put together this book it sells very well it's called American History Made Easy and I think of all the thousands of copies of books we've sold as helping so many people out there understand basic things about who we are as Americans that that uh, maybe they didn't understand and the world's a better place because we did it. So um, that's what I would leave your listeners with that. Um, yes, you can look at this business and you can say uh, it's dangerous and um, it's predatory. Uh, and those elements are there along with every other aspect of American business that's out there. But there's also a wonderful side to this business that truly is on a mission to make the world a better place. We are proud to be part of that. And uh, I, I really appreciate your doing this, um, uh, this podcast to share. Uh, you know, I've, I've watched some of your podcasts and um, there's a lot of really positive sharing of um, ideas and principles uh, for folks out there that, um, you know, you, you definitely uh, share that basic uh, value that motivates us each morning to get up and keep doing this. So thank you so much for your generosity with your time and energy today. Absolutely wonderful to spend time with you. This audio thing is still driving me crazy. But I will end things there and thank you so much for coming coming over. Terrific. I wish you well. I wish all your listeners and viewers well and uh, thank you for this time today. Thank you.